We've all been there, in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly, until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporlin, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Carell, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. The Sporland Division of Parker Hannifin Corporation is sponsoring this podcast. Sporland is the leading manufacturer of HVAC and R components. Using quality materials and craftsmanship, Sporland maintains a commitment to innovation, manufacturing excellence, service, and support for its customers since 1934. The company is known for its catch-all filter dryers, thermostatic expansion valves, solenoid valves, pressure regulating valves, suction filters, electric valves, controllers, supermarket monitoring solutions, chemicals, smart service tools, ZoomLock Max Press to Connect, and ZoomLock Push, Push to Connect Refrigerant Fittings. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to Sporland.com. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're here with your host, Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. What's going on this week, man? You busy? Uh, Kind of, sort of. Kind of like a slow week and change condensers again. Like, I think we're on like condenser number like 200. Really? Yeah, you've been doing a lot of those. You, uh, Kev, you were, uh, you were pre piping all those. Are you still doing that or what? Yeah, the fitters are pre piping them. I think this is the last, last one going in for a little while. I think, I think we did like, I don't know, like 30 or 40 stores. There was like three or four or two or three crews going like nonstop, you know, doing a store a week. Gotcha. Um, nothing bad. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting something to drop. No, no, no. I, I only got one more work day, and then I'm on uh, 
uh, I'm on like a mini vacation the rest of the week. So going anywhere cool? No, I'm just going camping. So, so tomorrow, tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's butcher day. Tomorrow's Friday. Yes. <laughs> I say that because every Friday when, when, when I talk to him, when he's going out camping, you know, he, he's like, he usually is on the phone with me when he's at the butcher shop and it's, it's usually, yeah, 11, 11, uh, jalapeno sausages. And I almost know your whole order to, to, to stock. Um, but Hey, tonight we're talking to, uh, Wayne incredible, uh, which he told me Bob, because I, I didn't want to keep butchering his, his beautiful Dutch name. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to introduce Wayne and Hey, uh, what's going on, man? Well, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can't complain keeping busy awesome awesome we we uh kevin and i met we ended up down at uh, hr down in down in georgia and it was that conversation that we said that we had with uh andre and him and and i think we were literally talking for like two and a half hours or just about random stuff and it was all really good stuff but you know we didn't record anything so you know i i said to him <laughs> i was like hey we're gonna hook back up and and talk about you know some of the stuff that we were talking about at hr but um Man, if you want to introduce yourself, uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, you know, what you've been working on, who you work for, and all that other fun stuff. Sure. Cool, yeah. So, I mean, the reason why I'm here is CO2. That's kind of my passion. It's, that's what I entered this industry on. So, currently, I'm working for a company, FGN, um, which myself and my partner founded about two and a half years ago. Before that, we were we both worked together. Actually, before that, for about 15-odd years, we were in a company which i said gave us a lot of experience we and we came from a background where we designed manufactured installed service to care everything around co2 systems so our first co2 system we did about 18 odd years ago um so that's where we got a lot of experience like hands-on um mm -hmm. which i think makes us a bit different from the the standard consulting company out there is we we can not just consult on the theory and the and the practice but we can actually consult on the the physical side of life and how to put these things together and how to make it done so part of part of what we do is we are product development so we help a few oems across the globe um, to put products together move away from hfc based chillers heat pumps refrigeration based systems and we actually help design these systems put it together help them manufacture it help them train up the guys and get it into the field um, and then also quite a bit on the industrial side of life. So we do a lot of work for Maersk, uh, where we put up a lot of cold storage facilities, nice challenges because the whole net zero um, goals that they have and, and large companies like that. So so basically we, we try to take, we're not allowed to have any other refrigerant, no matter how small the capacities are on site. So basically we drive everything from, from the main plant or look for alternatives where we can recycle, reuse, um, so a lot of nice challenges. So we're based in South Africa, small team, but quite quite busy. Uh, we work all around. I've, currently, we've got projects going on in New Zealand, Saudi, um, Australia, Japan, Pakistan, Kenya, Italy, and Spain. Yeah, I was in Spain last week. So Jesus. and in the US as well. So um, wow. um, actually, we actually just opened. I think last time we spoke, we said we were doing it. So we've opened a branch in the U.S. now, and I'm currently filing paperwork and getting stuff ready to get my myself and the family over there and, and see if we can can help the market. And I think, yeah, in a nutshell, basically we support CO2. Um, so that's that's what we do. We would like to to get guys 
our goal is to get CO2 into the market. The more people who help, the faster it goes. We always tease ourselves and say, like, if we do our job well, we we continuously will work ourselves out of clients. Um, but that's our goal. Um, <laughs> so our goal is to we can if we if we partner and help as many companies as possible, um, everything just goes so much faster. Well, you know what, Kev? Before you came on, we were talking, and and, and like I said, like every single time it seems like I t- I talked to Wayne, like or I talked to someone else, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, they're they're telling me about some CO2 project they're doing, and then all of a sudden I, I talked to him, and he's like, oh yeah, I helped with that, and then like and he kept going, like every single time I bring up another project, oh yeah, yeah, I did that too. So like apparently, like you, you know, you you do a lot of different jobs in a lot of different countries and a lot just all over the place. You're um, the puppeteer in the background pulling all the strings seriously <laughs> uh, we try we try to like i said i mean we we that's nice being in a consultative role um we can help more than one party um so that that is nice um so we like to work with oems contractors end users um and again because we we're not just on we're not just on the theoretical side nor on the practical side we've got a, a bit of an array of everything going so so we can help whomever needs some help to go to co2 um, yeah and have fun while we do it so it's it's all interesting stuff always it's never boring <laughs> that's awesome uh, so you know he's on here tonight we're just going to talk about a, a bunch of different stuff that, w- that we have questions about uh kev do you want to start with uh you know what you had first and then we'll we'll get into some of the other stuff well let's let's go into what you had first with the piping thing because uh right. that, that literally just came up today so Right. So I, I was I was talking uh, talking to Wayne before because you know I'm I'm trying to build some training, and I want to make sure I have everything correct. And and the 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 problem I'm having is some scope you look at the manufacturer and for liquid piping. I mean the the, the suction piping is typically always still the end. It's still the way it always is. Basically, you know you feed it into the top, right? Helps with boiling off some of that refrigerant that you might have liquid laying around. You know, and, and just kind of atomizes that oil a little bit. But then with the liquid piping, most of the time we're all used to everything pulls off the bottom, everything uh, as far as the liquid. But then when I'm looking through a lot of the spec, I start seeing, OK, Kaiser's like, oh, I want to feed off the side. I think zero zone the same. Uh, I looked at some plans for one or two customers and they're showing pull off the side. So that's I, I started asking those questions because I, I want to make sure I get it right. But I want to talk about this for a little bit and, and see what your thoughts are. Yeah, so I mean, as we touched, I think predominantly our our go-to is bottom for liquid, to be honest. Um, I think like we discussed on it, the side is not a problem. This So there's two factors that you need to do, to consider when you look at the pipe sizing uh, or piping of, of the system. Like we said, CO2 is fairly sensitive to pressure drop. The main reason being, no matter what, Subcooling you gain from your gas cooler outlet or condenser when you're in a subcritical mode as soon as you expand through your high pressure valve basically at a saturated liquid so if you do not subcool predominantly you will see your refrigeration systems either have the flash gas going over the liquid get some 2k or 3k um subcooling out of it a lot of times you get your superheat out of your lt coming back use that to subcool your liquid so the main reason for that is to basically give you you buying yourself a buffer because if you're right on a saturated any pressure drop is going to start flashing um, so you're going to start getting liquid um, your liquid flashing into vapor so if you're going to pull up the higher you pull up out of the out of the pipe obviously your vapor is sitting at the top you're going to pull that vapor out with your 
with your liquid going to a certain case. Um, I mean, that vapor needs to end up somewhere. So like we said, usually if you have that problem, you'll see it at the end of line, um, like you're either short of gas or you, you're flashing too much, your pressure drops too high, uh, you'll see it end of line. Um, the second factor that you need to consider, what we said, is depends on the type of oil, but the same as your suction, it's your oil, oil carry. So POE, highly miscible in CO2 carries very well. So in your liquid side, that's not an issue. Um, if you have bag in your system, you know, your typical liquid temperature, your bag is going to be at the bottom. So you would like to, to feed that bag with. So that can be something that maybe that I can consider is when we do look at bag, you might want to take out of the side um, so that you don't slug all your, all your oil to the first case. Um, so that can be a reason for site sidetrack so it would be a good question to ask or to find out that where it is typically specified to take it out of the side if that is a pack based system or a poe based system if it's poe i would say go out the bottom make sure that the vapor heat that last case helps with fault finding um, and a full bore of liquid is is number one for an expansion especially electronic expansion device so um, because of what you said, as far as you know, the the you know the liquid being essentially a saturated liquid, where you don't really have much subcooling there at the bottom of the flash tank, you might get you know like we talked about two or three degrees uh, Fahrenheit of, of of actual subcooling on there. So that's what I originally thought. I thought maybe because it's a shittier quality of liquid, you know, because we're essentially manipulating the CO two to make it to do make it do what we want it to do, right? Um, as far as you know, out of the HPV, we understand that you know, yes, in subcritical mode. You know, we're, we have like a 70-30 mix, 70% just about liquid, 30% vapor. And as we go to transcritical, it's more like a 50-50, you know, somewhere in that range, right? But yeah. so if you had, you know, that's why a lot of, I'm assuming that's why a lot of manufacturers, you know, typically use the suction of the low temp uh, to typically additionally subcool the liquid either on the drain leg or, you know, potentially, you know, coming out of the actual, uh, 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 out of the flash tank, so you get a, that additional subcooling, so you have a little bit better of a quality of liquid. Would that be an apt description? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you have anything that you can, it's a benefit. Firstly, you can reduce your required superheat at an evaporator, at your evaporator. So it's a it's two-sided win. Um, I mean, if you can run a DX, if you run a DX system and you can reduce the superheat required at your compressor uh, or at your evaporator sorry that's that's a benefit you gain that super heat number one and number two you gain that additional what you can call subcooling um so all that all that means is you're basically pulling yourself out of that saturated curve um into the liquid side of life meaning that if you have a half a bar or whatever pressure drop on your liquid line supply you know you're not going to start flashing you, st you you you're giving yourself that buffer um and also, like, I mean, you, you're moving flash gas. So so that's another thing that you need to understand. Like, the, the flash gas in a, in a system is, is is actually very interesting. I mean, that comes back to the high ambient strategies. Like, every high ambient strategy is based around taking care of the flash tank in the receiver. Um, but one benefit, and it comes to the low side of life, is um, where CO2 really gets the benefit of having the flash tank uh, because we need to consider that flash tank is not a CO2, flash gas is not a CO2 thing, it's any any refrigerant. Um, as soon as you have a pressure drop and you go into your two-phase region, you you separate vapor from liquid. Um, so basically we just with CO2 you you do a lot of that in your in your high pressure in your in your receiver tank or your separation vessel. 
but what that means is you feel you're feeding a constant liquid to your evaporators um so from a design point it actually supports the design of the evaporator you can have a much better much your evaporators don't see ambient so that's the main difference between an hfc system and a co2 system is if you design a co2 system you design about around making sure you've got the mass flow capacity compressor capacity to deal with your fluctuation in flash gas according to ambient conditions um, hfc based system you need to design your evaporators to take care of your ambient conditions as well because if your if your tank there goes higher and your condensing temperature is higher uh, due to ambient you're going to end up with that 30 percent flash gas or 40 percent flash gas entering your evaporator where in the winter conditions you'll have your 10 percent entering your evaporator in a co2 system because you have that evap that that separation vessel you're constantly feeding the same pressure temperature to the evaporator so that evaporator is 365 24 7 seeing the same feed to it so it it makes a good operation on, on the evaporator side. Um, but yeah, from a piping side of life, yeah, you want to try and reduce that, getting that um, vapor. And, and it's always interesting, like you can hear it. Um, I don't know if you, ever, if you walk through a facility or, 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 or something, um, or an installation in the beginning, especially if you have the Danfoss valves, which is the, the solenoid driven valves, like you pulse can hear as soon if you hear those pulse valves, you can hear them click. You know you're still short on gas, then, or you know you've got vapor going through your really? expansion device. Yeah, if you hear them click, this vapor. Otherwise, you shouldn't you shouldn't hear them click that easily. No shit, I I never realized that. Kev, is that a new thing for you too? They get they get quieter it, when okay. they're, when they're you know especially they they even quiet down a lot more when there's more caseload. But yeah, in the beginning, like the like. When when the superheat's kind of hunting, when the empty case, the superheat's kind of hunting all over the place. So yeah, that makes sense. But gotcha. I mean, the, the 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 liquid piping, it's interesting. It's just I wonder if it's something with the U.S. manufacturers just not catching up to everything yet. I mean, it seemed like one manufacturer started doing it, and then they all started doing it. They all just copied, and every every spec looks the exact same. Like it, the picture, the picture in the one customer prints. Um, looks exactly like what's in the Kaiser Warren book. Like it's the same damn picture, same orientation, yeah. same thing with the Husman Husman shit. It's 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 this. It's literally, I think, the same picture. So I think someone made it. And they're like, yep, yep, that's what they're doing. We're gonna do that across the board. <laughs> yeah, same as Hill. If you look at Hill's Hill's picture and Zero's own picture, it's the same exact thing. So I mean, <laughs> somebody went across the board. I mean, me personally, I would rather see it off the bottom. Yeah. Well, so I, so I talked to Ray Kelly about this cause I, you know, before the, when I'm, when I met up with him in California, excuse me, California, we were talking about it. And the idea was, is that because it's a lower quality of liquid than what you typically get. Right. And more susceptible to pressure drop. The idea was, is that if you evenly give a little bit of case, uh, a little bit of flash gas, then it's not as bad as, as, you know, basically just having, you know, total vapor at the end. That was, that was his thought. But I mean, now i'm thinking otherwise so yeah as i mean my counter on that would be is i i would i would not want to sacrifice little little uh, i would not like to sacrifice five to ten percent over i don't know 50 odd cases i'd rather see one case completely suffer and now i got a problem that i need to fix because then i can fix it otherwise <laughs> otherwise i give it up on, on all the other cases it's, it's going to be the same it's just spread out and you don't realize it 
Okay. And since we're talking about uh, piping, I, I just want to ask this question. Um, I was reading through the pump liquid stuff and, and I saw, you know, it, it, they, they're really careful with, you know, putting like downsizing the cases. So you have still have even, even flow across everything. Um, is, is there any difference? Like, I mean, they don't, they don't want you to basically start from one end of the case and go and go to the end. They want you for pump liquid. They want you to basically start from the middle and then keep going down every, every single case. Is that, is that, have you seen that in the past where they, they would rather do that, go off the middle and out rather than start from the end and, and feed in for the pump liquid? Or if you were to design it, well, how would you do it is really the question. You, you mean asking. like the, you? sorry, I'm just trying to understand the question. Like, you mean like the, the, the how you distribute, how you feed it, distribute to the, the different cabinets and stuff like that. Yes, so yes. Not, not have a, not have a ring feed, but rather have a, like try and split through the center. Yes, yes. Uh, see we've always done first in last out so first case to get liquid in is the last case to get suction out or the vapor return line out so that way the first case just like we would pipe glycol that's how we we've done it so whatever case gets fed first is the return line is is the farthest away so i mean i i don't really think it does anything just for the fact that i mean all those cases have solenoids on them so I mean they're they're gonna cycle on and off as needed if a uh, temperature. I mean, but yeah. most of the time that stuff just floats off the, the vessel. Yeah, and I mean and you've got your overfeed ratio that you that you connect to that. So uh, I mean my opinion, I agree with you, Kevin. Like typically do it like the same similar way. Um I don't think necessarily you have to, to do a different configuration than you would do with any other type of pump system. Um, I mean, for me, the main thing with uh, with your the main thing with your pump type system is to to ensure that you've got your liquid overfeed correct and that you that you work according to that. Um, like, yeah. So I must I must say we've more done pump systems on industrial blast freezing applications. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not so many coils that you have a complete split, but it's more of it's more like I say. It's more that getting that overfeed ratio correct and and making sure that you can, your pump can handle the the high volume and the and the, the how can I say it? the discrepancy and requirements according to load. So I have a question now that you brought up the blast freezer. So so like I, I did a, a little bit of industrial for a couple of years, and you know most of the stuff that was you know blast freezers you know that were that were filled with liquid. Um, you know, you had a vessel at the top that was fed off of, off of the li li pump liquid. And basically that, that cylinder, that, that receiver at the top would basically fill up based off of a Hansen rod. Right. So it's trying to maintain that level in there. Typically you have a hand expansion valve. Is that the same? Are you doing a lot of the same stuff with industrial, um, uh, liquid, uh, liquid flooded evaporators as you would with CO2 versus ammonia? Uh, I think a little bit less mechanically and more electronically, um, but similar concepts. Yeah, I would say similar concepts. Um, so I mean, you basically, again, you got a, you got your vessel and you got your compressor, whether it's LT or whether it's empty. But let's say it's an LT application blast freezer. So you will have your high pressure, your medium temperature compressors act like the so same way. You'll have a receiver tank, so you'll have your high pressure valve, flash tank valve. Um, controlling that, that liquid will feed through an, so that will just be electronically and not 
um, mechanically, it would feed into a search tank. Um, so that would just feed straight into a search tank and the search tank will reticulate the, will circulate the, the CO2 and the vapor will be taken care of. The, the LT compressors will pull straight out of your search tank. Okay, so pump liquid out at, from, from the flash tank right with 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 liquid feed with uh, uh, and then going to what you're calling the surge tank which would be above above the evaporator right and that's where the line basically feeds the liquid off the bottom vapor and mixed liquid come back on the top then dumps back in there so if you do have some liquid it does drop out and be utilized and then pulls the vapor off the top so you have a dry vapor dry suction coming back right yeah exactly okay perfect yeah I'm all out of piping questions. So, Kev, you got anything else for piping before we before we roll to to what you want to talk about? No, I think that's that's good. Before we roll into high ambient strategies, which seems to be like what everybody talks about, I want to talk more about low ambient strategies because I live in Chicago, so it's the complete opposite of where Brett lives. He lives in Satan Satan's asshole, like all all year round. It's it's miserable down there. We get out. He's moving. He's, I think he might be moving to Texas. Shut your mouth. <laughs> I've been there. I'm used to the heat. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 see, the heat doesn't bother me. It's 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 the the minus ten, minus fifteen with the wind chill. You know, minus thirty. So we get that up here now. Yeah. We have nonstop problems all winter long. The DX racks just as long as they're set up right, they'll run. But the CO2 racks. For the most part, unless they have a decent amount of load, all crash. And it, it seems to be a couple of customers where you know they they have a little load and they have nightshades. We you know we we fight the fight back and forth, and we end up running out of variable speed compressor. Basically, we we can't you know go down any farther, and hot gas injection just ain't cutting. Mm. So. So you got yeah there's two problems with that like contrary to the pressures that you work with with co2 the comp the compression ratio over the co2 compressor is actually low compared to other compressors yeah. um so so that is one thing if you if you then run into that low ambient conditions and especially with optimized saturated suction temperature um your your compression ratio becomes very low the problem that the first thing that happens with that is you um, you reduce your discharge pressure uh, and your your discharge temperature. Sorry, you reduce your discharge temperature quite a lot. And then what kind of happens is because you're and in between that low pressure differential, you've got an intermediate vessel now. You've got your your, your receiver tank sitting, trying to sit between your saturated suction temperature and your discharge. Today's episode is sponsored by the Refra Shield RDP Series Differential Pressure Monitors from Westermeyer Industries, now available for transcritical CO2 systems in addition to other common pressures and refrigerants. When the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated, it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency. But how do you know when it's time to replace that filter? Wait too long to replace and you could end up with a nasty filter blowout. But replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The RDP series differential pressure monitors, including the new transcritical CO2 model, are available now from Westermeyer Industries. To find out more information, email sales at westermeyerin.com. That's W-E-S-T-E-R-M-E-Y-E-R-I-N.com. 
Hey guys, today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries Serviceable Oil Floats. Many oil separators contain an oil float to effectively meter separated oil back to the compressors. Westermeyer Industries has taken this concept and perfected it. With their new line of serviceable oil floats, these floats feature an improved design with fewer components, allowing for greater manufacturer consistency and up to 20% increased oil flow versus their legacy models. These floats also feature an integrated magnet to shield the oil path from debris and have been field proven in supermarket applications. Westmeyer Industries offer replacement oil floats not only for their own separators, but also cross compatible models for our competitor oil separators as well. You can find out more about the Westermeyer Industries serviceable oil floats by visiting westermeyerind.com backslash floats. Once again, that's westermeyerind.com slash float. Let's get on with the episode. Um, Brazier. So what we found is like what we've seen it before where we get what we call it silly season where everything basically just gets pumped in the machine room. So you got you even see your compressors running flat out, but there's absolutely nothing happening at the vapor evaporators, but your compressor room is machine room is running hard and it's just trying it's because your flash your flash tank your flash gas flash bypass valve is just um opening up trying to 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 do something, but it doesn't know exactly what to do. So the best high ambient or low ambient strategy, um, because the problem that the problem that you have is again, it's it's always I, I, everybody says I always take a problem to the benefits of CO2, but it is like the benefit of CO2 that you have is it's got very good heat transfer coefficient, it's got a high volumetric efficiency. So if you're at that ho that um, that low operating ambient conditions, your con your condenser essentially for that system is is huge. Because the second thing that people do, and especially if I if I understand what what will happen in Chicago, and that that is one design issue that I have and I always fight is everybody looks and design a refrigeration system for the plus for the worst case scenario. Yep. 0.05 percent operating time of the year, which Chicago is 105F. So people design that system at 105F, which yep. I don't agree with because you've got adiabatic probably also there, but they still what if the water cuts and what if it's 105F there and, and all of that shit, which people believe CO2 don't work at those conditions. It works, it's just not efficient. Um, but I'd rather have a bit of a less efficient system for half a percent of the year than a less energy, a less efficient system for 60% of the year. But the, anyway, that's 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 a different topic. So, but but basically, what happens is your gas cooler slash condenser now is 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 highly oversized. So any trickle of wind or will will make it over condensed. So the the best way is to basically in those conditions, what I would say for for extreme weather fluctuations, you need to bypass that gas cooler. You need to have the ability to bypass it. Um, floating the fans is just is not good enough. Switching the fans off is not good enough. Um, you, you you're still gonna take too much heat out of that um, out of the CO2. So it's two things I want to bring up. So okay, because we have one manufacturer that tried that that tried the uh, and it, it's working. 
they're 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 bypassing the gas cooler and injecting right into the flash tank and it seems to be working i mean these these racks have very little load we, we float them to like I, I i we go from like running a plus 18 sst to like i think one of them i'm running a plus 20 26 yeah. but i mean we, we hit that we start hitting that 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 threshold of where the flash tanks run the plus 33 or plus 34 and we don't have that pressure differential. Now I was screwing around with a 326 one day and I kind of fat fingered the max receiver set point and mm-hmm. I fat fingered it. And uh, I was a few uh, uh, half a bar up higher than I should have been. Well, I ended up knocking the, the top receiver up to like five, like five fifty, five sixty, and it opened up the flash or the the BGV and basically loaded up the flash tank enough where it kept the medium temp running. It, it put enough load on the medium temp, and it was actually able to build some discharge pressure and stay stay up. It wasn't the greatest discharge pressure, but it was enough to keep the rack running, and it was like minus ten outside with like 30 mile hour wind. So it was enough to keep the rack running. I mean, is that something that I know like most, most of the controllers don't have the ability. We don't have the ability to write to the set points like we need to. I mean, is that something that could be advantageous, you know, actually like increasing the flash gas pressure, you know, just, just under the, like the, you know, maybe like 30, 40 pounds in the relief setting just to just to load that thing up in the middle of the winter. Say like, OK, it's it's, it's zero degrees outside. We need to juice this uh, the flash tank up, you know, a, a higher pressure to keep the system running and keep the, the medium temp loaded up. Yeah, it's yeah, it's something that we've come across before that does help um, playing with floating your floating your how can I say your receiver tank. Um, it definitely do help because it's it's right. You you are correct with what you're saying. Is you need to keep you need to keep load back on that system. So that is, in all honesty, like sometimes the best way that we have seen sometimes to do it is to really force your system to actually just run at a slight higher discharge pressure. Um, like I said, if you can't switch off fans and you can't stop stop airflow over your gas cooler, it's it's a struggle to do that. So if you can bypass that, especially for heat reclaim purposes, or you can modulate your, your, your flow through your gas cooler, you can force your discharge pressure up slightly higher. Um, because the problem is everything is just so low, there's not enough for the system to do. And it, and it goes into funny season. Um, so it, it sounds like the opposite of what you want to achieve. But if you're so low, you know, you, you still want to run. You're not going to lose efficiency of a system um because you're you're pushing the discharge pressure up a little bit higher than than what you think it should be um, because you're still running fairly low i mean the 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 energy saving when you're operating at a 59f condensing temperature is is um it's very good you're not going to beat it by going to a 65 or something like that when 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 you're when you're bypassing the gas cooler are you running so if if i was doing it this would be my thought i'd either do it off of uh, both ambient temperature as well as pressure. So basically, if the the, the you know, pressure got uh, got low enough, you know, basically we start bypassing as well as if the ambient is is low enough. And it, is that, I'm assuming that it's a modulating thing all the time, right? It's not it's not uh, 
it's not totally shutting off and totally bypassing. It's a, it's a modulating thing, right? Because then that way you can kind of meter how much refrigerant, because it's going to go the path of least resistance, right? What what has more resistance, going through the gas cooler or going strictly in the flash tank? I would think flash tank, right? So it would be easier to go through there. So like that doesn't 100% close, right? You're just basically trying to modulate it to to meter that temperature a little bit just to keep that pressure up. Is that is that what you're doing? Uh, yeah, you will have to modulate it. I would rather go probably on all, I, I would rather look at all temperature-based ambient and gas cooler outlet. Um, the reason why you can't, you're gonna have a system that hunts if you if you modulate on pressure. And the main reason is you need to remember there's a high, there's a high pressure valve. And that high pressure valve is, that's the other problem that you get is that high pressure valve is doing everything it can Mm. to keep that pressure at its above its minimum set point mm-hmm. um, so it is choking the shit out of that system and trying to keep that pressure up which again just make you gather so much co2 in your gas cooler yeah. so i mean your your low ambient problem that you have sometimes is just all your liquid and everything that you have just migrates out of your receiver straight and and sits in your gas cooler because again oversized gas cooler leads to carrying too much co2 when it's in the winter condition and your high pressure valve is actually supporting that because it's trying to choke that that flow coming back to keep the pressure up so if you're going to control on pressure and ambient temperature like you know you're going to kind of start start hunting and fighting each other so, so this so the second part of this, okay, like this is low ambient strategy that we've been kind of messing with. So everything up here in the US, they've been every manufacturer has been controlling drop leg uh the fans off of drop leg temperature. They go off of drop leg temperature. Now we started to talk about this AHR. Why not use saturated condensing temperature? Use drop leg pressure in this converted to saturation to dry the fans and when you get to 87 degrees you're where you're not going to start condensing anymore you're running transcritical just run the fans full bar like i like with us like i could see if you were somewhere warm using drop like temp but with us being in chicago when it goes from you know 50 degrees down to like 20 in less than like four hours in in uh when the sun goes down I mean, it, it just hunts all over the place when it, it's cold. The fan comes on for like a split second, and that drop leg temp is just shoots right back down. And then the BG or the uh, HPV valve and the fans are just fighting each other because the HPV valve's backing up gas, and we're getting real subcooled. And then it you, we have subcooled liquid in there. Then the fans sh- drop off, and then the pressure comes up. It opens up. It starts to get warm again, and then the fans just shoot back on. It's just like this constant struggle of like terrible control. Mm. But can't you increase the band of that? That um, I mean, I would say you must just look at increasing the band because if you got your EC fans on your on your gas coolers, it's not an on and off situation. It's a um, it's a con- you start controlling. If you've got 59F as your minimum set point for argument's sake, you, you want to start reducing that fan speed, anything around 65F. Um, and then that will give you that control to keep it there, not to, because I hear it, yeah, if it's, if it's an on-off situation, you're going to overshoot the whole time. Uh, that's another thing with CO2, it, like it reacts so fast. So you need to really modulate things. You, you need to, to keep things as steady as possible. 
see with, with like the whole thing with that is is we're we're so cold outside with the ambient and say they say we got a four fan gas cooler i mean and of course all these manufacturers are staging all the fans at the same time which i wholeheartedly disagree with so they're staging the fans all on at once so they start out say the minimum speed's 10 percent. so those ec fans come out at 10 percent. you have four fans moving you know you're basically have an entire fan would be running almost 100 percent but you between the four of them, it's just so much air volume that it, it, that temperature just instantly shoots down before the controller could even react to the PID change. That's where, yeah. that's where the bypass would come in. Right. You know, cause then you don't have to yeah. worry, worry about that. Like I see what you're saying. Cause like, I think even if you would bring on one fan Kev, it would be too much. Like I, 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 I think it would just be too much. Cause right. Cause the theory is, is every single time you go half the temperature outside than what the thing is rated for, basically, am I am I right? It's gonna it's gonna double in capacity, right? For all intents and purposes. So if you have a condenser that's rated for you know 100,000 BTUs at 120 degrees, and you basically make it you know 60 degrees outside, that now that condenser full fully loaded would be rated for almost 200,000 BTUs. Would that be correct? Yeah, not just that. The problem is when you have those low ambient conditions, your load inside the store would not be hundred thousand BTUs. It would be only twenty thousand. So it's 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 that yeah, the the gap stretches so far away. That's that's why I said like I've I've literally seen where the system can bypass up to ninety percent of that gas cooler, even hundred percent of that gas cooler, um, and basically still operate this there's so much there's still so much there because the load is so little like it it really can can um can handle it so i i mean the other thing is like it depends if, if i don't know if there's any store heating or, or something like that um because that that's something else that goes with this if you do bypass the gas cooler you obviously put basically turn your your condensing around the heat reclaim side of life that that helps making control better, um, but it's not a given that there's always. If there's no store heating, I mean, if there is store heating under those conditions, you will have a constant load, and you basically can actually run and condense your system without making use of the gas cooler at all and just doing the heat reclaim side of life. But if it's not there, then then yeah, you will have to modulate the flow going through your gas cooler. So, is there any? downside or like negative to controlling it off of drop like pressure instead of temperature is there any like where it would you know be negatively you know impact the system no i don't think so um i can't say particularly i think the the problem that you are describing here is more like we said a capacity and condenser size point of view that yeah even whether you control or whether you drop or whether you on off um if anything is running then that's why i say i think even if you switch everything off if there's a slight breeze or something going over that condenser you're still over condensing you're still making it hard for you the problem is you're making it hard for your system to to maintain above its minimum set point so i have a question on this i know um uh emerson right now is in in the in the plans of of making some of their uh some of their set points configurable and, and writable. So like you could basically take, you know, if it, the ambient gets down too low, you could basically, instead of, you know, relying on the subcooling to be set for five degrees during, you know, during subcritical mode, right. You could basically have a 
deciding factor to change that down to let's just say three degrees so if you're only doing three degrees there you're going to have that 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 flashing off anyway out, outside of the hpv um and then because now you're not choking down so much because it's not trying to control five degrees of subcooling it's now going to control three you know your 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 bgv will actually open up more and then basically then transfer that energy over to the the medium temp compressor is there any down downside to having that do that because i've seen some of the older racks used to be only to be set for three degrees now they seem to be doing like five degrees and i've seen some uh some customers were like yeah we're gonna jack it up to 10 degrees of subcooler but then that just it, it it feeds down it clamps down on the hpv too much so by changing that subcooling set point is there any kind of bad things that might happen by doing that no i don't think there's anything bad that will happen with it i think it's good that I think it's good that suppliers are opening up more flexibility to the to the to the user at the end of the day. Um, I mean, every application is different. Um, that's that's sometimes the biggest problem you have is there's not that much flexibility to to optimize and 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 allow yourself from a control point of view to um, to do what you want to do or to mitigate issues that you have. Um, so no, I don't think there's an issue. Like I said, I think the 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 subcooling set point on the on the gas cooler outlet just yes it 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 will drive over condensing in a in a low ambient condition um, so if you can have the ability to set it higher if you are in a very cold area or region or operating mode definitely will will make a difference in the in the overall control of the system because yes it is it's literally I think the issue is you have the the main issue you have is there's, there's there's nothing to move around and you're trying to your system is just trying to, to keep within its limitations that you have set for it um, but it's finding it hard to keep it there because you have put it this way it's the law of nature is fighting the high pressure valve um, like it's it's cold outside there's some fans running there's very little load there's a lot of heat going out through that gas cooler it's 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 you've got a mechanical or electronic valve fighting the laws of nature, which, which is, which is hard <laughs> for, for the electronic valve. At the end of the day, you're 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 getting a massive amount of subcooling from a little bit of fan running. I mean, it, it's it's a collation of all those things. I mean, it, the pressure thing seems like it. The control, the controller is able to you know handle a little better. The 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 pressure doesn't tank as fast as the drop leg temp is what i see so it gives the controller a little bit you know more time to you know smooth out the 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 fan reaction on the pressure side but the temperature it just instantly like you're talking like within a few seconds before the controller most controllers could even update to even make a pid change is it's already in the tank but i mean that's a whole system design issue i mean most of these u.s designers they're not they're not no split i mean i i i personally would love to see split with co2 i mean i'm sure you guys have it like up um, in europe but like out here like we need it i mean we're it's so cold here most of the time our condensers are just gas coolers are just massive i don't know if you could do it do it because i mean i mean unless it's a separate separate chambered you know uh, gas cooler right because like a lot of the abatics that you see basically you know don't have a divider right in the middle so if you pull off the one side yeah you're going to be pulling you know less air across but you're still 
you're you're still going to be over condensing. I mean, I to think unless you would be able to control, you'd have to use relays to con- to shut off each individual fan to make it more productive, right? I mean, that's one way to do. It. We don't we don't have very many adiabatic. Like we have fewer. We have most of ours are just standard gas coolers. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean that also won't help you in the windy cold conditions. At least the uh, adiabatic is some buffer um, <laughs> to the wind. So an open coil is, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna pull the wind towards it. 